Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. When I look out, when I see people, you know, and it's not going to be every time in every circumstance and situation, but am I, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart when I look out at society? And this might help you to identify what God's called you to. Because maybe you're kind of floating around, and you're like, man, I don't know what the Lord's called me to do. I don't know what He's gifted me to do, and all that. Well, one simple way is just to take a step back. And when you observe humanity, what breaks your heart? As Christians, when we decide to follow Jesus, we know that we're living our all for Him. But are we truly following His calling? Today, Pastor James wants you to know that God desires for you to live the life that He's called you to live. Even when you feel aimless or don't know what you're supposed to do for His kingdom, He has a divine plan for your life, and He wants you to become who you're meant to be. Take stock of what burdens your heart in our broken world and proclaim His gospel for all to hear. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 6, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're having um, fun going through this. This has taken way longer than what I expected or anticipated. Even this next portion of scripture that we're going to go through, it's going to be, just to give you a heads up, it's verses 7 through 13. Even this was one of those ones where I'm like, okay, since out the 12, we get it. That's cool. We'll go through it and we'll move on to John the Baptist, that story, because it's a major, major story. And the Lord's like, well... But no, we're not, you, you don't get to move on too quickly. And there's reasons why. He's been doing some work in my heart and, and in my brain, I'd say the past couple of weeks, but really for a while concerning what we're going to talk about today. So this next part, Jesus sending out the disciples, um, what I, what I want to do, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit from, uh, from Mark to the Gospel of Matthew because I, I have this book that I, I'll sometimes uh, consult and it's written by John MacArthur. And it's called One Perfect Life. And he kind of puts the Gospels in a chronological order for us. And so I consult that every so often just to see kind of where I'm at on the timeline-wise and all that good stuff. And what he pointed out was something that I had totally missed. And I was like, oh, that changes everything. When he pairs this with another story that Matthew elaborates on, but Mark doesn't really go into the details. So I'll clarify that in a second, but let's read through our text. Verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve, that's Jesus, he called the twelve, and began to send them out two by two, okay? And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, uh, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake the dust off or that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and performed uh, or proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And they were like, okay, pretty simple, right? Here's the thing, though. It is a simple thing. 
And, and all they're doing is what Jesus has taught them to do, what he has practically, physically shown them what to do. This is all like, he's like, okay, you guys have been watching me for a certain amount of time. You see what I've been doing. Now you go and do it. And so he sends them out two by two and all that good stuff. The story that I want to reference, so you keep your place in Mark, but turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Actually, Matthew chapter, the end of Matthew chapter 9, we'll go into 9 and 10, but Matthew 9, 35. Because the way Matthew has it set up, is very fascinating, and this is going to be the heart of, of what, we, what we discuss today. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, right? So we get that. We've been watching that happen in Mark. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then Matthew continues into chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are, are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Changes everything when you look at it within that context. Because then you're thinking like, OK, yeah, he's cruising around Galilee in that area. And Jesus is just you know doing what he does. And We've, we've seen it. We've walked through the gospel. We're, we're, we're noting all this stuff. He's healing people. He's releasing people that are demon-possessed. Uh, he's just doing those things. Now he turns it over to the disciples. He's like, OK, your turn. But what we miss if, you know, and praise God, Mark is writing to a whole different audience than who Matthew was writing to. But the gospels are one book. They're one book. And so when you take into account the one book, what I love about that is, you get to see the heart in it as well. Not that Mark doesn't have that, but I love that Matthew is able to elaborate, so to speak. He kind of paints this beautiful picture for us as Jesus is going throughout the villages and the cities and all that good stuff, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing and all that. He notices the crowds. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus notices that, and he has compassion on them. And then he turns to the disciples and says, hey, look, the harvest is plentiful. Pray for the laborers, right? And we love that. We quote that all the time because we have children's ministry, and we have needs where we're like, yeah, harvest is plentiful. Pray for the laborers and all that good stuff. Jesus takes it one step further, and he's like, okay, now get to work. Disciples, their job was not just to pray for help to come. Their job was to get busy. Jesus, he saw it, and he's able to communicate to his 12 followers at this point in time. He says, look, look at these people. And let's break this down a little bit, because in Matthew's gospel, he says he was, Jesus was going from city to city, from village to village, and, and he was teaching where? In their synagogues. So they have the temple in Jerusalem. They got big church in Jerusalem. Then they got little church, so to speak, the synagogues in the cities where there were enough Jewish men, they established synagogues. 
There was no absence of, quote unquote, I know the synagogue and the temple, it's not the same as church and all that, but you understand what I'm saying. They had a place, a community where they could gather and somebody was going to teach the word. That's generally how that works. There was no absence of those places in their towns, but the people, was, they were still hurting. It, there's a synagogue in the town. Then why are they still like sheep without a shepherd? And that's what Jesus saw. And that's where we live as well. There's no absence of churches in Galveston. There are plenty of churches in Galveston. What does Galveston need? More churches. No, Galveston doesn't need more churches. Galveston needs more people willing to go out two by two and to get to where the people are. Friendswood, Houston area, they don't need more churches as that city is growing by a a mega church per week, population-wise, like 1,200 people per week. They don't need more churches. They need more believers opening up their homes and pursuing the, the lost sheep, so to speak. That's, and Jesus, he looks and he observes and he's like, look, see what I'm seeing. See who I'm seeing. Now here's the next step. Now we need to pray. We need to pray. And I love how Jesus kind of breaks that down for his fellows. He, he shows them what to do. He demonstrates to them what to do. So he's answering all the questions, the how the, the when, the why, and all that, he answers all those questions for them by actually practically, physically demonstrating it, living it out. But what he had to do for his disciples was he had to expose them to the need that was just right in front of their face. Because just like me, in following the Lord, my eyes are set on him, but sometimes you can be... I, did, I remember this quote circulating around like 20 years ago or something, but you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And it's like, hey, look at the people around you. And that's what Jesus is saying is he's going from city to city, from village to village, proclaiming the gospel. His message was that of repentance as well. And he's going there and he's like, and he just stops and you can envision this. There's the Sea of Galilee. There's this guy's beautiful tropical kind of climate, and he stops this guy and says, look, look at the people. Look at the harvest. We need harvesters. We need laborers because it's there. The harvest is ready. So we need to pray. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So you can envision this if you put yourself in the story that maybe right then and there, there are these type of guys who are like, you know what, let's just pray right now. Because maybe that's what the Lord wanted them to do, because he already knows what the next step is, right? And so maybe they stop there and they're like, yeah, Lord, um, dear Heavenly Father, yeah, we see all these people. I pray that you'd send out the laborers. And then Jesus is like, cool, go. Sweet, I'm glad you prayed. Now go, get busy. Oh, that was for us? Yeah, that's for you. Who'd you think I was talking to? Yeah, of course it's for you. Of course it's for you, and it's going to be for other people that you're praying for that the Lord will bring. But as he's cruising around the Galilee area doing the circuit teaching and preaching kind of a thing and healing people, there's tremendous needs that are out there. And he's got 12 with him. He's like, we need, we need to be praying for more. But guess what? You don't get to just follow me all the time, so to speak. Now you get to go. And this is that sending out thing. Um, 
this is just incredible. One thing, a few things I want to point out from Matthew's gospel, then we'll jump back into to Mark's. But what I do want to note is that when Jesus seeing the crowds, that he had compassion. He had compassion for them. He was, he was moved emotionally by them in their current state. He's 100% God. He's also 100% man. And he was moved by, with compassion at the, the ones who, who were sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they're there. They're hoping the ones who should have been leading them, the ones who should have been shepherding them were not shepherding them. They were not taking care of them. And that moved Jesus. You can almost say that that kind of like, that broke his heart a little bit. His heart went out for those people. And a a good practical application for you and I is, am I moved with compassion at all for people? Or am I just numb? Or am I just numb? Either numb or so inwardly focused on myself that I'm just, it's just, I'm just oblivious to anyone and anything. Those are the dangers within Christianity that we have to be aware of, is becoming numb. Because it's the same story, and it's the same thing, and it's just drama, and it's this, and it's that, and it's these people hurt me, and, and all that good stuff. And it causes us to become callous, and then we no longer see people anymore. We see problems. We see old stories. We see no hope, and all that good stuff. And the whole time, Jesus is still looking at the crowds thinking, man, I wish, there was, um, I wish those sheep had a shepherd. I mean, ultimately, he's the great shepherd, but he has placed us here for this reason. So he was moved with compassion. And I know that's, that sometimes can be a, a, a difficult question, but it is one that I would ask that we all would seriously take time to consider. When I look out and when I see people, you know, and it's not going to be every time in every circumstance and situation, but am I, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart when I look out at society? And this might help you to identify what God's called you to. Because maybe you're kind of floating around, and you're like, man, I don't know what the Lord's called me to do. I don't know what he's gifted me to do, and all that. Well, one simple way is just to take a step back. And when you observe humanity, what breaks your heart? What moves you to compassion? And maybe that's what the Lord is trying to use to get a hold of you to, that's like the avenue he wants you to run down. I know for us, for our family, it's within that foster care system. That's why we're licensed foster parents and licensed to adopt. Why? Because that breaks our heart. That moves us with, you know, compassion. And so we see that, the Lord placed that there, and we pursue that avenue. And that's part of it. I, I would ask you the same thing. What moves you? What breaks your heart? Who do you notice? Who do you notice? Jesus noticed the crowds. And he noticed that there was, not, there was nobody there taking care of them. And he wants, to, he wants to illuminate his disciples, his followers' eyes to say, look, see the people? They're here. There's more than what you can handle. There's more than what you can handle. So you need to pray for laborers because the needs are great. The needs are tremendous. But I also love the fact that he didn't call us into ministry just to pray for helpers to, to come. He called you into ministry, and, and newsflash, if you are a Christ follower, you are in the ministry. You're in the ministry. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't got to go to seminary. 
You don't need a degree. You don't need any of that stuff. Is it helpful? Sometimes. Not all the time. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and he's your Savior, then guess what? You are in the ministry. And you're not just in the ministry to pray for people to come along and to help out. You're in the ministry to jump in the trenches and serve all, this, all the same time praying for like, man, Lord, we need help. <laughs> we need help. Why? Because the needs are too big. The needs are great. In the day and age in which we live, that's becoming more and more evident as you just look around, man. People are hopeless and they're lost and they, they're grasping for anything and everything to find like purpose within this life. And here we are with Jesus, the good shepherd. People need to know him. So he, he shows his guys that. And, he, and I love that because that's such a familiar verse. If you've been in church for any certain amount of time, you already know somebody has taught you the harvest is plentiful. Pray for the laborers. And if you've served at a church, I promise you, you've had this taught to you in some, some form or fashion. But what we don't always link that to is what comes next. And what came next is used like, all right, cool. Go fight when. Break. You two, you go. You two, you go that way. You two, you go that way. And you send them off two by two, two by two. So he's like, no, we're not just going to see the problem. And we're not just going to pray about the problem because both are absolutely essential. You have to see the need and you need to be praying for solution to the need. But there's a third step to that equation that has to be addressed. And it's actually going and doing. So whether you hang out in Matthew's gospel or you can just jump back over to, to Mark's gospel back in chapter 6, Mark doesn't give the names. Jesus or uh, Matthew broke, them, broke down the names into two by two and all that good stuff. But here's what Jesus says. He doesn't even just like, okay, you guys saw what I did. Now you guys just go and do that. He commissions them. Verse 7, back in Matthew. Matthew, what did I just do there? Um, you know what's funny? So that's, this, uh, this just popped into my brain. There was, a, there was some visitors that were sitting right here last week. Um, they came from all the way from South Carolina. South Carolina, that's crazy. Um, so they, heard, they listened to us on the radio, which I didn't know we were in South Carolina. Um, and they're sitting there, and they're smiling the whole time. I'm thinking, like, this is a happy couple. I don't know what's going on. Um, like, they're very happy to be here. And I talked to them, and the lady is like, she's like, yeah, I listen. I try to take notes, but you talk so fast. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And now I'm combining gospel names, Matthew. I'm like, oh, let's, uh, and I'll leave it in. Don't, 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 like, expose all the, all the shortcomings. Um, anyways, Mark, gospel of Mark, deep breath. Verse 7. So he calls the 12. He begins to send them out two by two. Why two by two? Um, two by two is a prudent practice, okay? Two by two. Um, there, there was, back in the Old Testament, it was set up to where, you know, you needed um, two or more witnesses to state, like, uh, the, the truthfulness of something. Like, if you're in a court of law, you want two witnesses, right? So you're going to send two, you're sending out two witnesses is what Jesus is doing. And he pairs these guys up. You saw that in Matthew, um, how they're listed is probably how they were paired up. But he wants to send them out because that's a prudent practice, number one, that like brings you know, some sort of validity to the message you're bringing. But it also brings a, an element of accountability. You should never go out by yourself. Don't go out on your own. Um, there's a certain amount of accountability that you want, um, not only because, well, we're all sinners, 
So, and, you know, sinful tendencies and all that good stuff. So we need to walk with awareness of that. Like, don't, I hope you don't walk around thinking like, nah, it's not that bad for me anymore. Like, whoa, hold on. Like, sin is always crouching at the door. Always crouching at the door. So you better have a buddy with you, okay? You need somebody watching your back. Um, And if you've ever gone out witnessing or anything like that, you also know that you can encounter hostile environments and people. Um, there's been many times when it, that was at Bible college in California, where it's like, I'm like, I think I'm going to get in a fight. I think I'm going to fight. And I was kind of excited about that because I used to love fighting, but, um, but I'm like, I'm a Christian now. Is this even okay? Like, should I, I Lord, do I need to repent right now? Cause I mean, there were moments where you're just like, oh, here we go. Um, but you have people with you to help diffuse all that good stuff. And you just need the accountability there. You need somebody to watch your back. You also need that extra person to pick you up when you're discouraged because, newsflash, serving Jesus gets very discouraging. Gets very discouraging. I know that's a horrible sales pitch, right? You're like, hey, come volunteer. Come serve Jesus. It's one of the most discouraging things you can do. And you're like, well, I'm not signing up for that. Um, No, it's lonely at times. It's lonely. It can be very discouraging because what you're passionate about, what you care about, and you care, you see the people, you have compassion on the people, but then when you go to express that or minister to them and it's not received, in fact, it's not only just not received, but it's thrown back in your face, that's discouraging. But that's sometimes how it goes. It's not all the time. Praise God for that. But you need somebody with you your ride or die with you, who's like, knows how to like pick you up. You know, it's the Ecclesiastes things where it's a, the, the cord of three strands. It's like you and your ministry homie, whoever that is. If it's your spouse, sweet, praise God for that. If it's the best friend or whoever, you need those two strands for sure. The third strand will always be Jesus. And that's what you need. And you're going to go out and you're going to serve the Lord. You want that accountability. You need somebody who can lift you up when you've been knocked down. And that's, that's generally the, the why the two by two. No lone rangers, no lone rangers in, in this thing called Christianity. That's actually how, uh, well, that's how pastors fall. Um, just be honest with you. That's, that's why you don't hear of some names anymore in the Christian realm. And it may look like they got a, they got a team, they got a staff, but they have no accountability. And then that's the dumbest thing a pastor could ever do. It's the most foolish thing you could ever do, uh, especially when you're walking around with a big target on your back. Two by two, two by two. Never forsake whoever that other person is that the Lord has placed there for you. Because when they're, they're there to help pick you up, but when they go down, you're there to help pick them up, and it should be just a beautiful, harmonious thing, Okay. So they go, send them out to two by two. Um, oh, also, this is, I found this kind of fascinating. Um, so we do offerings here. I don't know if you know that, because we never talk about it, and that's my fault. Um, but we do. We have two boxes back there. Uh, and I found a wood one, and I put it in that room where the coffee is. Uh, not to collect money, but if you put money in there, can you tell somebody? Because I will never remember that that's in there. And uh, so anyways, um, but we do offerings and all that. But our system is you have two people counting. And that actually is connected. That's the way the, in Jewish culture, that's the way they would do it as well. So you have, you know, accountability, right? 
So we don't want like Judas, you know, handling the money bags for us, because if you know his story, he is like pocketing some of that money, serving, walking with Jesus, and he's pocketing money from the offering. I'm like, so you got two people collecting and counting the money and all that good stuff. That's also part of that two by two thing. John the Baptist sent out his disciples two by two, and here we see Jesus sending out his two by two as well. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.